0: Hello, and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes live stream Q&A podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Thanks for spending part of your Saturday with us. Before we get started, we're off next Saturday, uh, October 30th for the Halloween weekend, but we're back for a special Friday episode on November 5th at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern with Lit Manager Jason Lubin of First Story Entertainment. So if you enjoy our Meet the Manager Q&A series, you won't want to miss it. Um, but today, our guest is a first-timer on the show. We're excited to have him. He's a screenwriter and filmmaker who won the National Board of Review's Best Original Screenplay Award for Buried, which starred Ryan Reynolds. He also won Spain's Goya Award for The Sea of Trees, which starred Matthew McConaughey and Naomi Watts, directed by Gus Van Sant, which was also nominated for The Palme d'Or at Cannes and distributed by a 2 His best-known work is probably the big-budget thriller Greenland starring Gerard Butler and its upcoming sequel Uh, He's also written and directed the indie feature Mercy, which is available on Netflix And also for Netflix, he wrote the recently released thriller Intrusion starring Freda Pinto I'm pleased to have on Chris Sparling Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you for joining us today
1: Uh, Thank you for having me, Kevin
0: Uh, So I'm excited to have you. You've done everything from really small contained indie thrillers uh, to big budget action thrillers, uh, and everything in between, which is kind of exciting. And, and and so we can, I'm excited to pick your brain into the different processes involved in terms of writing for those, working on those, you've directed as well, uh, developing projects like that, because our audience ranges uh the gamut of uh, a lot of screenwriters, but also uh, some uh, filmmakers, writer-directors. So mm-hmm. let's get into it. Before we get started, though, asking specific questions on, on filmmaking and, and screenwriting, let's just dive into your background a little bit. How did you get decide you wanted to work in Hollywood? At what point mm-hmm. when you were younger did you go, you know what? I want to make movies.
1: I, You know, it, it sounds cliche, but I always knew. You know, well, I was probably like you, probably like 99% of the people listening right now that are filmmakers or screenwriters. I just, it it just was such an alluring uh, and appealing thing to me. I mean, it's magical. I mean, to go to the movie theater, especially as a kid, it's magical. And it seems almost, it seems almost mythic, really, you know. And what was different, I guess, for me is I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, and you know, there, at that time, there weren't really many avenues. It wasn't, I didn't know a single person that was ever a filmmaker, much less, you know, know of an industry that existed. And then even in terms of, you know, when it came time to, when I was going off to college and everything else, the idea of pursuing a track in filmmaking or anything else just seemed so foreign to me. So the only thing that didn't, I guess, the only thing I could kind of grab uh, grab onto in any way was acting and so hmm. that's what i started off doing uh that's a lot of do that did that for a couple of years and, and as these things go it's, it's i mean I'm, you know now fast forward i think what 20 years later but you know it's I guess what I'm trying to get at is that, like, all the different things in between, because again, there weren't many avenues for me to pursue this, especially once I was back in Rhode Island. And even when I was pursuing other jobs, or even to say, and, and non industry jobs at that, um, even when I was, when I went back to school and, and, and all, it always kind of like in my head went back to, like, how can I parlay this into a job in the film industry? Hmm. So while I'm like, I, I have my degrees in criminal justice that's you know that track that career track would have been fine for me to go on sure. but there was always a part of me too that was like yeah but maybe i can become a consultant using that uh, right. and, and work on film sets and that will be how i finally can break into the industry i want to be working in Um sorry for the convoluted answer no, but it really no, not, was no, like no. a convoluted thought process because i didn't have any examples to follow
0: yeah no I- I love hearing backgrounds that are are different and yours uh, that you knew right away, which I think is is fascinating, because not everyone's like that. Some people sort of fall into it later in life or discover it later in life after a full career, especially if you have a degree in criminal justice. Although, uh, you know, the thought of using it, right, not just I have it. Oh, well, maybe it can be something. I mean, you actually... Uh, cog you know with a cognizant thought go hey I could utilize this and you would thought about joining the industry for a long long time which is is unique and again the reason we ask this is because uh, I love to hear varied backgrounds because somebody out there is probably has a similar story or a similar background and this can be motivation or sort of uh, helpful to them to see okay mm-hmm. someone that that wanted it in the same way that has a similar background made it. So maybe I can too, you know what I mean? Cause everyone's different. Sure. And so, no, I, yeah. I think it's, it's great. And I think it's fascinating. Uh, so how did
1: you get your first writing job? So my first mm-hmm. job versus my first produced credit. So my yeah. first produced credit was buried.
0: Um, that was your first credit.
1: Wow. That was my first produced credit. Yeah. I mean, I shouldn't say that I did. I did a movie prior to that, that mm-hmm. I co-directed, wrote and produced and starred in like that was, for me, my film school because I had no effing clue how to make a movie, and I just figured I'd try doing it.
0: That was your my best uh, friend's birthday,
1: which was yes, you could say
0: that. Yes, Quentin Tarantino's yes. film. That's never right. well, His it, was never released. I don't know what happened to yours, but
1: no, I've seen pieces of it. Though. I know I've watched yeah, yeah. pieces of it online. And yeah, it was. In, it was kind of. I mean, that movie's horrible, and I mean, mm. mine honestly isn't any better. <laughs> so, but I needed it. I, oh yeah, I didn't. You know, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't have an, you know, so, um, so that, I mean, that certainly counts because without that everything else would have never happened. Um, but so buried was my first produced credit. And then I did a movie that I had produced called ATM that I wrote. And then my first writing job mm-hmm. um, was on a, for a project for M. Night Shyamalan called uh, oh, reincarnate. Yeah. yeah. That's what got me. So that's what got me into the guild because buried Believe it or not, buried was a non-union project because oh. it was shot in Spain and everything else. Okay, yeah. So, so those first two projects, though obviously I was paid for them, which was great at the time. Uh, they weren't, you know, quote unquote, writing assignments, or <laughs> they weren't guild, you know, sanctioned, if you will. So, so yeah. So I had that job. I off of buried. Uh, I met with Knight, and he was doing at the time a thing called the Knight Chronicles, which were a series of three movies smaller movies that he was the first of which was the movie devil. So they were movies that he had the, I came up with the idea for he was going to produce, uh, but he was going to bring on a, a director and a writer mm-hmm. to bring these three separate movies together. And they were all related in some fashion. And so the first one was devil, the second one was reincarnate. And so I was brought on to write that one. And uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time with Knight. And the movie just never came together. It just never ended up happening. But it's like I said, it was it was what started me on the path of being, quote, professional writer, I guess, where you're getting paid and you're getting health insurance for it.
0: (laughs) You know, making a living,
1: making a living. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, I know people sometimes kind of they 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 look at that term professional and, Mm -hmm. you know, they argue around what that actually means. Sure. But in the real world, as far as I know, like being a professional at anything means it's your profession. Mm -hmm. It's how you make a living. So, you know, and so that's how I would classify it.
0: Right. Um, Okay. So uh, for those listeners, viewers uh, who have questions for Chris, uh, we actually have a lot more questions but uh please drop them in the uh chat and we'll ask them we actually did get one question so far and i wanted to throw it your way and then i'll continue on with my line of questioning (laughs) um let's see gross brothers parody says is a first time screenwriter's best chance at breaking into the industry to write contained thrillers of which you have a substantial amount of experience which is great um what's your thought on that
1: I, i don't know if it's the best I just know that it, it they make for very pro- producible movies. Sure. You know, if you I mean again, any movie, it's a, it's a, it's a business investment for someone and it's it a potentially a huge one. Yeah. So obviously the more mon- money that's on the line, the bigger bet it is for someone and then the number of people who are who are able even to put up that kind of money, studios or financiers becomes smaller and smaller versus contained movies, if you can come up with something unique, it's it just makes it a much more appealing business opportunity for a lot more it's just the the pool gets bigger of who might want to finance a movie like that uh and maybe even just do it yourself because you might be able to figure out a way to completely do it on your own um yeah so i mean contain i wouldn't say just thrillers but you know contain movies sure that's that's certainly a way
0: right and also the the genre films because they translate well overseas like you a thriller can be a thriller in any country with subtitles and it still works. Whereas comedies because of the cultural differences and things like that don't translate as well. Uh, sci-fi action stuff is usually bigger budget because you have so much more going on. So thrillers are contained thrillers can be very affordable and also translate very well overseas. So yeah, you
1: know, I think that's what I would say, you know, about that if yeah. I piggyback on it really quickly is yeah. it's one thing to do it just to be like, Oh, oh, well, I want to make a contained movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's great. But I, I think if you can find a way to make it not just unique, but also just making it feel like it's part of a bigger thing, you know, a bigger story. Mm, yeah. Like we're just seeing this one particular lens. We're sticking with But if, if you can create this sense of scope to something uh, beyond what your contained thriller is, I think that's where it really starts to feel more cinematic and it doesn't feel like a gimmick.
0: Right. It's not just a bunch of kids in a house, but it's Halloween or it's Saw or something sure, like that. Yeah, there's more going exactly. on outside of whatever it is they're dealing with.
1: Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
0: Um, or even, I mean, Alien was technically a contained thriller. It was obviously a yeah. sci-fi one, but yeah. But there's a whole mythology and a whole world behind it. Exactly. Um, so that's, that's great, because I think that a lot of people looking to break in look towards contain thrillers and i think that's probably fairly sure but again only write what you are passionate about what you have uh you feel like you have a good story and your voice matches that i mean if you're a comedy writer don't just try to write a contained thriller because you think that's an easy way in because it's it's not necessarily no
1: and it's also what you want your mm-hmm. what you're looking for the material to do for you too by the way so right. it's 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 one thing to say like oh this is a very I'm not very, but this is a more producible version of a movie because it Mm -hmm. would be lower budget. But there's a difference between, you know, and I always try to stress this, you know, to say like writers that are kind of starting out is that there's a difference between the project and the career. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine you want the the career because the project is a one off. The the project is winning like a scratch ticket. It's like, hey, you know, you (laughs) won one thing and you got some money. It's great. But that's it. Right. The career is what you're going for. So I wouldn't if if your goal is to say i want to be a working screenwriter it it really is you're not you kind of have to accept the fact that the odds are against all of us really that anything we write will get made it just Mm -hmm. that's just the reality but if you can write something that's fantastic regardless of the size and scope and budget of what it would cost to make that's the writing sample you would need to start getting in rooms Mm -hmm. which is the career that's the more important avenue
0: how many, well, first, how did you learn to write screenplays?
1: Uh, self-taught. I mean, I, I, that's probably why it took as long as it did, too. I So when I was 19, mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I want to try to write a movie. I had no idea how. And I remember going to the library at the college I was going to at the time and taking out a book on formatting and stuff like that and wrote a, an atrocious screenplay. <laughs> Uh, and I, it took me the full sc- like year to write. Um, and then just like anything else, you know, you're kind of like, well, I did it. I actually can do this. Yeah, I don't know how good it is, but I did it. And you just do it again and do it again and do it again. And then it wasn't until much later after do- that process, I started to like accept and appreciate the fact that this is a, a real art form mm-hmm. and there's a real craft here. It's not just about format. It's not just about, say, learning a superstructure and stuff like that. know there's something really you know deeper going on when you're doing this stuff and so and that education for me came from reading more screenplays you know once i started to actively read more and more screenplays and movies i i knew and movies i didn't honestly i just started to understand the language better i used to i started to understand the the craft far better um and 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 that's why i always say like people always ask me like what is the best way to become a better screenwriter and it really is to just read as many scripts as you can Mm mm-hmm and you'll, you'll get it. It'll just click for you.
0: And how many scripts did you write before you were taken seriously? Meaning you either got representation or you got, uh, something sold or optioned or, uh, where you actually had some sort of progress in your career. How many Mm -hmm. scripts had you written before you got to that point?
1: Well, it technically was before Buried that I had some sort of validation. Sure, So absolutely. When, I, when I went, you know, again, I'm kind of condensing 20 years into like a footnote or a thumbnail. Um, so when I went back, when I was living in LA as an actor, I told you, I started writing. I moved back East. I'm from Rhode Island, I think I mentioned. Uh, and I finished school here, mm-hmm. college here. And while I was in college here, uh, I I wrote a, a screenplay was a comedy, actually that ended up in the hands of a kind of a small producer, uh, in LA and the circumstances of how that happened were kind of as, as typical LA, as you can imagine, but like, but it happened. And so the next thing I knew is that this person kind of was operating as like a manager producer and started, I had a writing partner that I wrote it with at the time. And next thing I know, it's like, you guys have a bunch of meetings that people want to meet you because they read your script. They liked it. And so I remember leaving school for a week, going out to LA and doing the, that, you know, that water bottle and right. sofa tour, right. That you do. And I mean, I was so green. I was so young. I had no idea what, I mean, my, I was like, what, I mean, I thought we were going to talk about this, my the script that I wrote that you liked. And they're kind of like, what else you guys are working on? And we we're like, Oh, what, we're supposed to be working on something else. <laughs> um, and so, and so, uh. So yeah, that was, if nothing else, and and it was my being so green, kind of, I think I missed a real window of opportunity there because we didn't know, we didn't have anything else in the works. Um, But for me, it did serve as some validation to say like, hmm. hey man, you got in those rooms. That must mean something. You must have at least some sort of talent for this.
0: So was that your second script? Because you had mentioned your first script was terrible.
1: Yeah. Actual number of which um, that was probably my third or fourth script.
0: Okay. Okay. So that's that's actually pretty good because sometimes people take it takes two people ten scripts, Uh, but I know a lot of writers think that their first script is that one, and not not to say that it can't be, especially if you're a writer in other formats, other genres, other mediums. Uh, But generally speaking, if it's your first thing you've completed as a writer of any sort, it's probably not as not ready. But, again, that's not always the case. There are exceptions to that rule. um, So it's good. Okay, so three or four. um, That's uh, good to know. Um, And I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, your background as a writer. Because you've written smaller contained Thrillers, a number of them actually. Uh, one, obviously, Barry for with Ryan Reynolds, but also you know Mercy, which you directed, uh, Intrusion, which just came out like last month, I think, didn't it? Uh, yeah, uh, on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, but you've also done things like Greenland, which I don't know if that was like a spec, if it was your idea, or if it was a you mm-hmm. know an OWA, if it was a writing assignment you were hired to write. Can you talk a little bit about the, the process, how they differ? Maybe talk about the process for Greenland first to see, you know, so we can find out how that came about, meaning, because it's very different than some of the other stuff you've written, just in terms of the scope of it. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so how did Greenland yeah, that, come about?
1: So that was, that was an original, that was a spec okay. of mine. and okay. And so generally, I tried, or even now, I still try to write, I've gotten a little lazier, I guess, or a little busier, whatever it is, um, combination as I've gotten a bit older, um, I try to write at least one spec now a year, but I used to write at least two, Hmm, sometimes three. And so even in addition to writing assignments, I would always try to work on my stuff because Mm -hmm. I just like to. And so I did that. That was that spec. One of the two, I think I wrote that year. And you know, it's, I'm glad you pointed out the fact that I have done so many say, contained movies contained thrillers in particular, because I think starting off, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world to be known for something, to have a niche Mm -hmm. or whatever else it's it's actually pretty helpful mm-hmm. and but what could ultimately happen is you can get you could get no pun intended stuck in that box right. and so over time i was like all right I, I need to find ways to branch out here creatively and to kind of widen the industry's and the town's view if mm-hmm. you will of, of of me and so the first effort at that was sea of trees so that was a bigger thing and thankfully that one got made but, but it was, it still kind of was a very, a smaller movie. You know, it was very few characters, even if it was a bigger palette or, or what have you. Um, the, with, so it was an active decision on my part to say like, all right, what can be a very big movie that I can write and write well, hopefully that can really just inform the town to say like, yeah, Chris can do this other stuff. You know, not, right. not just this smaller character driven, smaller stuff. and. Um, I kind of honestly, Kevin, I look at it this way. I don't live in L.A. I consciously made that decision not to since moving back. I've been able to be successful from here, but there are pros and cons. And so, mm. you know, I'm especially now in the past year of the pandemic, I haven't been to L.A. since February, last February. Um, you know, so normally I'll go out like three, four or five times a year just to do meetings, just to kind of get in front of people and everything else. But still, I'm not I'm not at a lot of the parties. I'm not at a lot of the the, the screenings and everything else because I just don't. I'm not there. Mm-hmm. And so my point is, it's like I feel like it's my responsibility to remind people that I'm in business, that I won't for business, you know, and this is what I can do. It's almost like if you owned a business on uh, a small in a small town, it's like you would put a billboard up on Main Street. You would right. make that investment, right? You would spend that money. Uh, that's kind of the way I view. The other reason why I write those specs is because it's like, I need to remind every, you know, a new script of mine is going around town and hopefully people are liking it and reading it. It's a reminder. It's that billboard. So, sorry, but that that oh. was the point of writing that script. Um, and, you know, thankfully, with Thunder Road, uh, they, re- they really re- responded. And the the process answer answered that part of your question. Mm-hmm. It's really it's it's largely the same. hmm. You know, I think I think it, it, at the end of the day, you're always writing the small story, uh, like personal story. Not, But even if the scope is enormous. Sure. We we don't we don't care. We don't care too much, I think, about the spectacle. It's fun. But the spectacle is meaningless if there's nothing at its core, nothing with any real heft um, and emotional resonance. So like so for that for that reason, writing a movie about the end of the world, as it were, it was really not much different. Uh, but obviously now in terms of like the, the, the physical act of writing it yeah I mean you had a there were a lot more moving pieces and everything else and it's not to say I'd written that's the thing though too is I'd written other bigger movies but they just weren't made between writing assignments and everything mm-hmm. else so it's it's not as though this was brand new territory for me but this was just the first time it was actually working to the point of being you know being made
0: right right now I don't know the budget of Greenland but mm-hmm. I I I'm talking more about like once you've written a big budget action thriller versus writing a contained thriller, low budget contained thriller, or even mid budget, but usually they're, you know, on the lower end, 20 million or less, mm-hmm. usually. Uh, whereas something like Green, that I would imagine it's at least 50 million up, uh, if not substantially more than that, depending on how they, what route they went with it. I mean, Gerard Butler probably cost 10 himself, or something. Um, but, uh, like the, the process of, of handing those scripts over to your reps or sending out to production companies whatever you know route that it went that it ultimately was successful getting a script that oh we can make this for eight million dollars or whatever versus this is going to be a 60 million dollar film would seem to be different you know what I mean uh, so, but from your perspective from in terms of getting into rooms and selling it uh, how they, they didn't differ at all to you?
1: The process of getting it to the starting line. Who, right. Exactly. Okay. The all right. Yeah. Process. Yeah. They definitely, yeah, definitely different. That absolutely. Uh, I'm sorry if I didn't pick up on that part of the question before. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, there's, so, there again, it's kind of speaks to what I mentioned previously, which is there's so much more money on the line. Now there are so many more people who are going to hedge. Mm-hmm. And so many people are going to, you know, it's just the nature of the beast. As opposed to if you have a smaller budget of film, you're going to have, a lot more creative freedom as a writer as a filmmaker because people just they're kind of investing in you and they're not they're not necessarily going to lose everything <laughs> if this thing turns out to be you know a fucking piece of shit right, <laughs> I don't know right. How to put it. it's just like that's just it um so yeah and there were uh, even with i mean with greenland i mean certainly there were entire there's an entire director cast regime change that occurred on that oh, movie I did where yeah. I mean, first it was, it was Neil Blomkamp directing mm. and Chris Evans starring. And mm. so we were, you know, that movie was off and running in terms of being made. And then, you know, as these things sometimes do, like, yeah. you know, wheels kind of come off the bus one by one, and then oof, then the bus stops. Well, the, the amazing uh, thing is you know,
0: oftentimes two- when that happens, the movie dies and goes away.
1: Not always, way, which but is what often, I was going to say, and yeah. that's no, oftentimes for sure. Yeah. And that's why I, I do credit Thunder Road a big way, where they are able to, you know, and then even to say with um, with Jerry and his company, where they came in, him and Rick had just done a movie together, and they were like, You guys doing this together, like we, we needed mm-hmm. you know, a director and an actor, and you guys just worked together, and it was great. And and it came back together, it was resurrected, which, like you said, doesn't frequently happen
0: mm-hmm. so uh okay we've got a couple more questions that i want to run by you uh and then we'll get back to the questions that i had let's see here um mookie mc says a little late to the stream so forgive me if this has been asked but does chris try to write with to a trend uh try to stay ahead of any trend or do you not care about trends at all
1: i don't care i mean i think i think it's a uh... It, and don't take this critically whoever asked the question but i think it's a fool's errand to try to chase down trends because by the time you know let's just let's just game it out it's mm-hmm. like let's say like when when twilight came out everyone's talking <laughs> about vampires and so like if you i should write a vampire movie i mean it depends i guess a little bit on where you are in your are in your career because obviously things move faster if you have reps and everything mm-hmm. else and if you have an established career as opposed to just trying to get anyone to even read something so you take, you want to write a vampire movie because it's hot right now. All right. So the time it takes to write it, you're talking about, I don't know, a month, two months, three months, whatever least, it takes yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least. And now you're rewriting. And now you're trying to get people to read it. And we're already talking about like four five, six months before we even at that point, much less when the movie can actually come together and get made by that point, it's gone. The mm-hmm. trend's over. And so, and the other thing is you're invariably going to encounter something where you spend all this time working on a, on a script or I'm putting together a movie and lo and behold, you're reading the trade that morning. Oh my God. They just made a movie so much like mine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's, it's going to happen every single time. Uh, and it's, it's definitely discouraging cause it does make things harder, you know, and especially if a movie com- comes out and completely underperforms then it's like, or completely overperforms in which case that movie becomes that, that concept right Right. Right? and it's a tough then now you're the copycat but i it's you know it's there's so many movies that just tell the same story and tell the same story it's really up to you and how you tell your version of it and i I wouldn't get too caught up in trying to chase trends or or the opposite of being in some way dissuaded by by uh, the popularity of something
0: right right uh let's see farzin farzam says hi kevin and chris question are small thrillers deemed not for screen anymore, I think meaning the big screen, and should be targeted towards TV, uh, lifetime or streaming? Uh, and is writing small thrillers a good strategy to break in? You sort of described writing small thrillers, uh, you know, contained thrillers. Uh, but what is your take sort of on, like, smaller films and theatrical releases nowadays? And is that even a cons- consideration when you're writing? Like, do you, th- in your head, think, well, this is going to be for Netflix, not on the big mm-hmm. screen anymore, because so many, you know, big tentpole films are usually what they have uh, in, in theaters nowadays. Uh, or do you just write how you're going to write and then where it ends up, it ends up?
1: Yeah, more the latter. I mean, obviously, I'm cognizant of the fact that when we're speaking about a smaller, say, contained movie, mm-hmm. more likely than not these days, it's not going to see much, much, if any, theatrical, right? It's it's going go to go to a streamer or wherever, wherever else. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, again, I, I, I try not to get too caught up in that sort of stuff, especially at the writing phase, I, but you know, cause you don't know, you just don't, I mean, there, there could be, there could come along and the next paranormal activity, right? People were like, this thing's never going to make its way to a screen. And then lo and behold, it's like, it just, yes. I mean, the industry has obviously changed. I mean that, you know, things are becoming less and less that position for a theatrical release. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's more about like, I want to just continue to make content that excites me and and come what may after that.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense.
1: And just sort of to
0: continue on Farzin's question, which we talked a little bit about, you know, writing contained thrillers uh, in terms of breaking in, uh, how do you know, because again, you've written a number of them, including Intrusion, which was just, you know, was released last month. Um, how do you come up with ideas that are original and yet still sort of fits that, that genre? You know what I mean? Something that's contained yeah. but not hasn't been done a million times before or has, you know, like you were, t- were talking about, is more than just what it is. Like, oh, people in a room. How do you get yeah. out or whatever it happens to be?
1: Yeah. Well, it's, I, you know, with buried buried was a very big turning point, obviously for my career, but also sure. just for like, for me in terms of understanding, like I, you know, I had, I had made a movie prior to that. I'd written by that point, probably seven, eight, nine scripts, somewhere mm-hmm. around there, maybe 10, you know, so I knew enough about screenwriting. I knew enough about making movies to know that buried was a, unique script when I was done with it you know I whether it was good or not I wasn't actually no I knew I was I knew enough but you know this was a good script and this is unique so who knows and what would you know at that time like who knows what will actually come of this of me making this movie but I definitely know that I've never seen this movie Mm -hmm. and if I did see this movie I would think it was cool just for trying to do what it did right right and so above, but above and beyond that, so to your question, so there was a version of Buried that I wrote first, which wasn't even called Buried. Um, and it was a totally different movie. It was more of like a, uh, it was more of a horror movie. Uh, someone's buried alive, and it's more of like, uh, like Saw. It was almost like someone gotcha. like Jigsaw doing this to this character, right? And and I got to the end of it, and I was like, all right, well I can, I can I actually, did did. I wrote a movie with someone in a coffin, the entire movie with just the phone. But it wasn't, it wasn't enough. Like it wasn't, it didn't have enough going on with it. It needed more like actual scope beyond what we're even seeing per se. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I went back and said, well, what would be a more compelling reason uh, why someone would be in this predicament? Right. And that's when I learned about the civilian contractors in Iraq and Afghanistan, how they're being taken hostage. And that whole ransom hostage ransom thing was becoming like a functioning business for people there and in a real like underworld sort of way um anyway so like that to me was exciting mm-hmm. because i was like all oh, right now we're talking about something bigger here we're talking about you know a war going so this guy's in this in this box but there's an entire war going on outside you know what i mean and and to be able to somehow bring elements of that in you know when the bombing happens like it that's what made it feel like i'm watching a bigger thing and naturally I, you know with with rodrigo as the director like cinematically he gave it enormous scope which was such as such it was like a magic trick um but uh but yeah i think you know there was i i heard the term recently and i've since cribbed it just this this idea of a keyhole epic right okay. and in a way greenland greenland is the same thing because rather than having a movie where asteroids are hitting the earth or comets and then the Roland Emmerich checking in with the president and going to this person and that right. person and everything else. Right. It's, it's mm-hmm. just we're staying through this very specific lens of mm-hmm. a family, you know, almost like with, what and, and to me, this was with Greenland was the, doing the impossible. How could I do the impossible with an asteroid thing, like a little more, you know, elevated than or it's, you know, and bigger. Um, but yeah, I think that's important. I think you have to find a way to attach it to something that feels bigger and it doesn't have to be like because there's a war outside.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it it needs to be more than just, I guess, as I said from the beginning, it can't just be you're doing it for the sake of doing it. I'm doing a contained thriller for the sake of doing a contained thriller. I think that becomes readily uh, observable mm-hmm. in, in the reader and then the audience if it does get made. That this was only done because they essentially could.
0: Right. Exactly. No, that's actually a really smart way to look at it. Um So, I did want to touch base, again, because we do get a lot of writers who don't live in Los Angeles, who, Mm -hmm. from around the world, from Australia, from Canada, from the UK, from India, from wherever. So, do you still, do you live in Rhode Island Mm -hmm. right now? Uh, Yeah, yeah. So, and you would talk a little bit about sort of the disadvantages, meaning... uh, Because you're not here all the time you come out, although COVID, I'm sure, put a stop to that. But you used to come Mm -hmm. out a few times a year to take meetings and things like that, but you're still not here all the time. What are some of the other uh, things? I don't want to say disadvantaged, but things that you do other than writing spec to advertise that, you know, I'm here, still working, you know, hire me. Uh, Yeah what are some of the other things that writers who are not in Los Angeles can do to sort of reintroduce them or keep them floating around in the orbit of the industry? Mm -hmm. You know, well, I mean,
1: obviously it depends where you are in your career. Sure. Because I mean, if you're at the place where you're starting out, you don't have reps, you don't know anybody Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you're kind of, I mean, that's, that's the toughest part of this. That's the toughest stage to be in. Um, (laughs) But let's say you've, you know, you've gotten to a point where maybe you've met some folks and you're getting generating a little bit of a buzz for yourself, or uh, you're getting in some rooms and everything else. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important. Yeah, you, you've, you, it's just like anything else. You, you have to find. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something that's gonna sound trivial, but it's really not. You have to be a normal person. You have to be like a, and. <laughs> so much in my experience about even just doing general meetings and everything else and then even to say as the producer and as a director when i've been the one holding the meetings meeting with folks so much of it is just are you normal like are you like a like a normal human being that i could see myself working with or referring to someone or being in the trenches with for multiple months because if you're not i don't care how talented you are it's like it ain't worth it so so how that how that plays into this question the question you're asking me now which is like if your thing is you want to check in with people follow up keep you know kind of keep that it's it you have to do that that's part of your job Mm -hmm. um but you need to be a normal person about it you can't expect you know you send someone has a script of yours and then five days later you're following up going have you read it yet you know i'd love to you know it's five days you have you have to recognize Mm -hmm. this sort of stuff and it's stuff you learn i mean again if you don't have any experience you're just maybe kind of comparing it to other things you are familiar with, where it's like if you send someone, say, a a resume for a job at the bank, Mm
2: -hmm. it's
1: like, well, I mean, at a certain point, it doesn't take too, too long to read a resume. So I think like you can probably reasonably follow up in a week or so or two weeks and say you're following up. But like when you're asking someone to read a screenplay or watch a movie or whatever, it's like these are considerations you have to take uh, into account. So that's part of it. Constantly be reaching out to people, maintaining that growing Rolodex kind of an archaic term, but that you might uh, that you might have, Um, you know, and then this is it's a different world. I mean, this is the crazy thing is I'm definitely of the generation that straddled the digital and analog world. Mm -hmm. Right. So like so it's very different now where you have so many avenues to kind of put yourself out there for better or for worse, you know, to get. Attention, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like, naturally, you want the right kind of attention. And it's really, I don't know if I'm the person to really suss out what makes something the right attention or not, but you, you certainly, there's certainly no shortage of opportunities to get yourself out there nowadays and to find ways to, to express your voice, be it the written word or, you know, a performance or your, your your, something you've created. There are all the avenues in the world now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's important, but I think leveraging those is the right way is important right um, you know it's just as important so it's yeah i mean it's you kind of you're you're a business you're as a, as a writer of any kind be it a screenwriter or i would imagine a novelist like you are a business in, and you will eventually become an actual business you'll probably get a loan out company and you'll become an llc or an s corp or something and but but even before then you you know, you have to pick up the phone, you have to send emails, you have to practice and work on pitching. You have, in addition, this is all in addition to your writing, right? Because that's all part of your business.
0: Right. Right.
1: Now, oftentimes
0: we also get asked about writing for specific actors. And so I wanted to ask you specifically, having worked with obviously, Huge actors, Ryan Reynolds, although he wasn't necessarily Ryan Reynolds at the time, he was still he's still, you know, Ryan Reynolds, Matthew McConaughey, obviously huge, Naomi Watts. Uh although I guess Buried was originally supposed to star Chris Evans. Uh do you write No, Greenland was Greenland Oh, was. Greenland, sorry, yeah. excuse me. Greenland. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, although uh yeah, Gerard Butler, another one. Uh do you write even if it, it doesn't go to that actor, even if it doesn't end up you know, being made with that actor, which obviously is a very difficult. It's tough to get movies made in general, but getting movies made with a specific sure. actor's, you're just setting yourself up. Uh, but do you, just for your own sense, write with any particular actors in mind when you're writing it to give that a character voice, to give that character, or do you already have your own visions and and ideas of what these characters are? You don't need that.
1: I, I will sometimes have kind of. Actor archetypes, archetypes. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't try to get hung up on who it's going to be because, I mean, what's the likelihood that's sure. going to happen? I would say the only time that was closer to being the case was with a movie I just did called Lakewood, mm-hmm. where I had a relationship with Naomi from Sea of Trees um, from producing, it in addition to writing it, and then knowing that I was going to be producing Lakewood, I knew that I could. I could have a conversation with her, Mm -hmm. right? That this is a real thing that I could go to her directly and say like, you know, is this something, but I I don't, yeah, generally I don't try to say like, this is, this is who this person is. But in terms of like kind of creating a mental image of someone, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think kind of, but at the same time, it just becomes like an amalgam of faces and and whoever else. And and quite honestly, most times the characters first are me, right? And it's in a weird way because you're putting your, I am anyway, I'm like, and I'm sure almost everybody, you're putting yourself in these situations mm-hmm. and you're asking yourself, what would I do, right? And then you're kind of heightening, it's like, as this character now, what would I do? Sure. So, you know, a lot of times I find myself not like specifically seeing myself, but just just, just be, the characters acting and behaving in a way that I am or would mm-hmm. uh, because that's how it's going to come out anyway. You know, the, the me and you talking right now. I'm responding to what you're saying now. If you are character and that, that wrote something, my response to it is going to be from me, right? right? Um, and then you just kind of shape it and hew it into being, you know, in more in line with what this character you're creating is. But it does start from, yeah, I think internally,
0: right? And going back to writing for through your own lens and then obviously Mm -hmm. changing it based on circumstance and their own motivations and whatever it happens to be. Uh, As a former actor yourself, how does that influence your writing? And and is that something uh, you would, I don't want to say recommend, like people take acting courses, but in film school, like as a, when I studied, like took directing classes, they recommend mm-hmm. you take acting classes. So you see what it's mm-hmm. like from the other side. As a screenwriter, you take a directing class. So you can see what it's like from the other side. So you can s- sort of have that communication so that you understand everything that goes on, you know, that how, how the, the two sides mesh. But yep. as, as a writer having an acting background, how did that affect your writing?
1: It, I think it certainly helps because... If nothing else, you know what you don't, you wouldn't want to have to say, you know, Mm -hmm. lines that are like, that's a terrible line. Like that is just that doesn't express or it's too on the nose or it's too obvious. And, and, you know, all those different things. And then even to say, like, the deeper things you do as an actor to find the truth of everything. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that really helps, especially with creating character. Right. I think being an actor and then with dialogue as well, where it's, you know, you you know, you kind of have like a you kind of have a little extra tool in your toolbox because you can, you know, you kind of act this stuff out. I mean, I'm like hearing it in my head. Sometimes I find myself like catch myself like like saying it, right. like whispering, it, which was weird when I used to like do work on coffee shops. A lot of people kind of looking over at you, you realize you're talking like, to yourself, talking to yourself. Right. Um, and so in a very like, dramatic you know, fashion. Yeah, it's very dramatic and <laughs> what, hushed because you're, right. you're not saying it out loud, but it's you have your headphones and so you don't recognize that your headphones <laughs> are louder than you think. Um, so, yeah, you kind of you can hear it. You can hear the cadence and everything else um, because this is how you would perform it. And it's not to say that's how it should be performed, but it's like this is a an actual performance of these words as opposed to this. Is, these are just words mm-hmm. that can be read. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it is helpful. Um, I think it's very helpful with dialogue in particular, but I, another way, if that's not your, 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 your thing, I mean, just really being, you know, tuning into real conversations, sit there in the coffee shop and listen, right. listen to people talking to each other because, you know, you know, most, most conversations aren't what are in movies or at least like it's pre- people don't talk in monologues to each other right people talk in very short clipped statements and they cut each other off and they kind of they start and stop and and granted we can't generally you don't have a movie where that's entirely the case but if you can hue pretty close to that you're getting somewhere because it sounds real it sounds mm-hmm. natural as opposed to just completely false dialogue not everyone can be aaron sorkin right? right not everyone can be tarantino where they can write this heightened dialogue and it plays Right. Right. Absolutely. But we all, even in those circumstances, we recognize people in real life don't talk like Aaron Sorkin's characters. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's that witty. Not everybody has the perfect response. Not everybody has a monologue to say. Right. But he but he pulls it off because he's Aaron Sorkin. So sure. the rest of us aren't. So I would say, yeah, <laughs> try to stick to more realistic. Sometimes.
0: Right. Now, it seems like a concept like Greenland appeals to producers like producers like big ideas ideas that can make a trailer ideas that can sell directors tend to like uh you know more story driven things where they can show a world and kind of the progression through the world and that kind of thing whereas actors tend to like character like is this character interesting is is this character fully fl- formed is there a, a development in this character you've obviously worked even in your contained thrillers You've worked with some big-name actors. We're jumping back to all the actors you've worked with uh, and gotten interested. Again, you've worked with Naomi Watson, Save Trees, got her to be in Lakewood. Uh, so you're obviously really, you know, Ryan Reynolds on in, in Buried. You obviously have a way of writing very strong characters that appeal to actors. What's your secret? Oh, I'm just kidding. Uh, what, uh, does that come from your acting background? How do you write characters that really draw in actors that actors are like I love this character I want to play this character it's not about the other stuff you know obviously that adds to it but mm-hmm. if they don't love the character it becomes you know like greenland it would just be this big apocalyptic thing if they're just these you know caricatures running through the you know the film uh between explosions that's not really appealing to a lot of big name actors right. i mean obviously you give them a huge check someone someone's going to do it but yeah, sure. to get people to do contained throws, to get people to do – to get actors to do big-name actors to do these roles, the character has to be great, right? Mm-hmm. So what goes into that, your, your, your process?
1: I, I think one of the biggest things is making people flawed. I think, I think actors love to play flawed characters yeah. because they love the redemption story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of the characters I've created in the movies that I've done – and I'm not saying this is what makes it activate necessarily, but from Greenland down, they've been every men. Yeah. For women, you know, I, I, they've been people that are you and me in just extraordinary circumstances. And, uh, I think there's something there, I mean, there is something appealing about that for sure as an actor, because again, it's, it's like, it's someone getting to rise above someone getting to do something extraordinary who normally wouldn't. And, um, and especially if, you know, you add into that mix the fact that they're flawed. They have, you know, I think finding the bottom, that's interesting too. It's an interesting thing as a writer to do too, to kind of calibrate these sort of things. But as an actor, to see like, oh my God, like how far can you go to start from? How far down can you start from? That by the end of this movie, there's a very, there's a very, uh, you know, appreciable, but also also like observable and recognizable arc and realistic, believable arc that occurs that by the end of it this person has redeemed themselves mm. and it is like it really does like i like, could you start lower can you start lower did the person do this is this their baggage oh, what if it's oh my god like what if it's 10 times worse than that and again sometimes you find yourself going well that's like that person's unlikable i don't care what you do but if you can find a way to redeem someone i think that's really not just redemption but arcs like you were saying like a, a very clear arc for a character um and naturally i mean certain actors they like being able to chew up some scenery so like if you can give them a, a moment or two mm-hmm. where where they get to really show their chops and you know have that moment of breakdown or whatever the case may be and you know i just think ultimately if you're approaching it kind of like i said before is that at, even if you do have that movie with all the spectacle and everything mm-hmm. else if you don't have a small movie in at the core you know i I don't think you're going to have a tough time attracting talent. Like you said, minus the version where someone just wants to get a payday. Right. You know, in my, uh, did did I freeze? No, you're good. Are you frozen for a second? You know, I, I always say like, truly it's like, this is kind of my mantra in a way. A lot of times is like set it on the moon. So like every movie should be an indie film, but like if you want it to be a big movie though, set it on the moon. I don't mean literally, I mean, although we could do it literally. (laughs) but like it just means like what it's still it still has to go through you know if you were to strip away all of the spectacle Mm -hmm. right and make it it it, could could it still stand up as a as a a play right as a stage play and i think it should be able to i think it should be compelling enough there should be the character should be well-rounded enough and and they should have their arcs and you know and the conflict should be real and the stakes should be high um you know, and that's maybe that's part of it, too, uh, is that you want your your conflict and your stakes to feel meaningful. Right? right. This shouldn't feel like. So what if I don't if I don't get from point A to point B? It's not really a big deal. Right. Mm-hmm. That can't that doesn't work. That that's tough to pull off. I, I, there are very few movies or whatever else that do that. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's kind of, you know, that's the alchemy, if you will.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've mentioned it multiple times on the podcast about The Walking Dead, how it's really a story about humanity. It's about these relationships of these characters. Uh, you know, uh, there's so many different uh, personalities involved and, and, and backstories. It just happens to be set in a world full of zombies. But you could put aliens, mm-hmm. you could put mm-hmm. monsters, you could put vampires, you could put anything you want there. The story, right. the core story of these people and their struggles is the same that doesn't change Mm -hmm. right it just happens to be set in the world of zombies and i think that that's what like you what you're talking about it's it's really about the people not about the event or whatever's going around around them that's just the setting that this is all taking place in and it does affect it but it's still it's it's about those people if you don't have these core about these people then why are you watching if you're not learning about these people you're not attached to these people if you don't like some of these people why are you watching
1: it's, and that's, I think even more, I mean, it's definitely true in features, but it's even more true in TV, I mm-hmm. think, because you're investing multiple episodes, multiple seasons. Yeah. You, you want to keep, you want to feel like, you know, those people. Right. And, you know, someone said it to me recently, um, again, a line worth cribbing. um, There, were in terms of TV, they were like, it, sh- it should be, you want to have a character, a main character that I want to go to Venice beach and buy the t-shirt of with their face on it. You know, like you want to make a character that's so become so iconic because it's that, like, that's what you need. You need that sort of investment in the character, right. especially with TV to drive it. Um, I'm the one who knows more eloquently than I just did. But... <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Like Walter White, someone would go out mm-hmm. and buy that t shirt. Yeah. Walter White has, you know, he is that, he means that much.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, and became that iconic for people that's, you know, in in particular with TV, it's, it's so character driven Yeah. because it's a real investment of your, of your time. It's like, you almost, you, you start to feel like these people are part of your family because they're in your house all the time.
0: Yeah. People get devastated over the red wedding and because some of the characters they love just got murdered at a wedding. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay. I got a question from the audience. Mookie uh, says when working on a script, what is uh, Chris's, Chris's typical workday like, uh, writing in the day or night daily goals or just letting it unfold however it may. Do you listen to music or no distractions, Pepsi or Coke? <laughs>
1: Pepsi or Coke? Uh, Coke, Diet Coke. Um,
0: so I guess we'll start yes, at the beginning. So- What's your typical workday like when you're, uh, writing? Like, do you write in the day or night? Uh, and do you have specific goals that you try to accomplish each day or just kind of let it flow? Uh, do you have music? It's.
1: Yes, music for sure. I, I listen to, uh, I can't listen to music with words. Mm-hmm. That is a no, no, because it just distracts the hell out of me. Um, but soundtracks and a little methody in terms of like, if I'm writing about, um, yeah, I mean, like, obviously if I'm writing more of like an action-driven thing, I'll try to find some more of a pulse-pounding sort of soundtrack to listen to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to kind of get me more, I've been listening, I've been writing a new project right now that's very moody. And I found this, this cello thing. Uh, this very moody, ch- I've, I've listened to the thing by this point, I don't know how many times, which is what I keep listening to over and over again. Um, so as far as the the process, just like everything else, the pandemic has kind of upended so much, Sure. including my writing process. In the pre-pandemic world, I used to, you know, after I dropped my, my kids off at school or if they went off on the bus, I would try to get my day started around like 9, 9.30 and write till around one one thirty. try to break up the day go to the gym um come home try to get a few more hours in before the kids get home so you know pretty good work day um now i mean now is a little different than even two weeks ago because my kids started school again um but during the pandemic it was tough my b- wife also works and so like she and i our son was home so it was like we had to split the day so like i would do my son in the morning she would take over in the afternoon and so I didn't have much time to work so it was, it was really difficult it was really difficult to even find like three hours sometimes two or three hours to write but generally in terms of like there in terms of a goal per day I usually like a like when I when I have time when I have a full workday available my goal is say all right try to get five pages if I'm right if I'm actually writing the script at that point mm-hmm. so five days to me is a solid workday some days you get it some days you don't depending on the project, you know, I've had days where I've banged out like 17 pages. Like, holy shit. I was Mm -hmm. like, that was a good day. Um, other times you struggle to get three and you're like, so, I mean, if you can get out of your own way, I think five is a, is a reasonable goal. If you have like, especially if you have five hours, if you can't, you know, you should be able to write a page an hour. I think that's pretty reasonable of a goal. And, you know, arguably you can probably do that in two or three.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, so yeah, that to me, if I get five pages done, that's 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 a good day because my view is, you know, twenty days I have I have a draft.
0: Right. Yeah, and then that's also the key. It's a draft. It's you're not saying yeah. it's five perfect pages that don't need any sort of uh, rewrite right. work or polish or anything like that. I, I think some writers have the idea of. They, they agonize over every page because they want it mm-hmm. to be just right, not realizing that you're going to go back and rewrite it. Even if you sell it, you're just going, going to get rewritten. You know, there's so many – just yeah, get yeah. it out as best you can, and then you know you can go back and look at it kind of thing. But, um, Yeah. Uh, let's see here. A Farzin, Farzan question. This might be sort of an odd question, but for a writer breaking in, what is a reasonable five-year goal – uh, a long-term goal, did you ebb and flow or had a specific career or specific strategy career-wise? So I guess, like, in your mind for a writer breaking in nowadays, what do you think a reasonable five-year goal would be? And then in your career, did you have ebbs and flows and how did that sort of work out?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely had ebbs and flows. I'll get back to that mm-hmm. in a second. I think a reasonable five-year goal nowadays because there, there are real Opportunities to get your work read that didn't exist before. Mm-hmm. You just they just didn't. Um I think within five years, a reasonable goal should be getting a represent getting an agent or maybe a manager or both. I think that's reasonable within five years to be able to do. Um to maybe have maybe well, let's just say you're just totally starting out. I mean, I think I think at that point to at least have written three or four. Screenplays is reasonable. Um, yeah, hopefully, you've, in five years, really diligent and really worked on your craft and have done what I suggested about reading as many screenplays as you can, at least one a week, at least. Um, I think in two,
0: you're starting to break uh, up a, whether just...
1: or not you are working as a writer at that, going after assignments. So maybe mm-hmm. you will have gotten. Uh, we'll have gotten some by then. Maybe you'll be on a land on a writing staff somewhere. Can you hear me? We're back. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You were breaking up just for a second. Um, you were talking about like getting writing assignments and, and uh, you know, th- that sort of five year plan. And you were sort of just in the middle of uh, talking from the very beginning of, their career, you know, reading one a week, that kind of thing. And then you sort of started to break up from that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think if you're doing that, if you're reading at least a script a week, uh, if you're, if you're able to put aside some real time to write as Mm -hmm. often as you can, maybe every day Mm -hmm. or maybe every weekday, um, I think five years is a reasonable amount of time to kind of start your career to be the early stages of your career. Now, again, that may sound discouraging for some people. They may say, "Like, well, five years of doing something—you're only going to be at the beginning of your career." It's—it's it's a tough career. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, it, um, but at the same time, there are certainly examples of people who have, in five years, you know, they've—they've changed their entire life. You know, they they have they have done so much in five years. It really is more about what you put into it. The best advice I've ever received, I think. Is that work begets work? That's true. Right? You doing the work will create more opportunities for other work. Other, you know, other, it just, it's just how it happens. If you don't do Mm -hmm. anything, nothing's ever going to happen. Nothing's ever going to come your way. The only time things kind of come your way is because you put in all the legwork to make that stuff come your way. Um, And that's the same with getting reps, is that so much about getting a rep is about the legwork you put in to get them to come seek you out mm-hmm. right because so much is like well i can't you know, i can't get an agent or i can't get a manager you know and there no one will read my stuff trust me when once you once you put in the legwork and legwork and have created or you know be it a script or a short film that all, all of a sudden clicks believe me people will come see you they will right. your phone will start ringing You're, you know what i mean that's kind of how it happens mm-hmm. um to the second part of the question about ebbs and flows in my own career well, there's the pre-buried portion of my career because there really wasn't a career. And then there's the, the buried, post-buried world, which is what I'm still existing in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so for the first part of it, it's the ebbs and flows were the struggle. I mean, that's just what it was. It was the hustle of trying to find, you know, trying to make movies, trying to write scripts, trying to get people to see my material. All the things I just went through, you know, I just mentioned about trying to get representation. That was, you know, that the ebbs and flows of, that is that you have little incremental growth, and that you try to ha- you have to capitalize on that growth every single time. Uh, so that that was the ebb and flow of that, uh, but pretty steady, I guess ebb. <laughs> um, the the post buried world I've had my ups and downs. I think early on in particular, because buried was like buried came out of the gate in a very very big way, mm-hmm. and it kind of you know and not only you know it was my proverbial big break it it was like a a splashing thing right it was kind of like holy cow right and um you know and then not say it was pressure it wasn't so much like buckling under the pressure but it just became you know i with, with the movie i did called atm the movie didn't turn out great i think the director did a fine job with what was probably a mediocre script that i wrote and i rushed into writing that script because again it was all like oh my god i'm in the party now i need to stay in the party mm. so let me just um and so you know the, the 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 sophomore effort as it were you know like with bands with their sophomore yeah. album it was up to expectations and i mean even the movie like the movie itself on the poster it said from the writer buried mm. so there was a little bit of like this that's is pressure. kind of," yeah that's it's pressure but it's more mm-hmm. like the, kind of However, this movie turns out is really going to probably affect me more than anybody else. And, you know, and it did. I mean, most times it's kind of the director who who gets takes the hit if it's a bad movie. Right. Mm -hmm. And but in this case, it was me. Um, Not the critic or criticism standpoint, it's always the writer's fault in terms of critics. But but in terms of the industry, you know, kind of the director jail thing, you know, that's a real thing. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, it's not to say that I ended up in screenwriter jail, but the the shine had kind of worn off mm-hmm. a little bit after that one. And so, but again, that's, I go back to work begets work. No one's going to make it happen for you. So I went, you know, in that effort, like I mentioned before, to kind of reinvent myself and uh, re, I guess for lack of a better word, re-educate the industry about me and my abilities. Um, that's when I wrote Sea of Trees, where it's like, all right, this is, necessary right. for my career gotcha um and and so and thankfully from then that is what really helped get me back up to a level that i've been able to get back to and grow from since mm-hmm. but there was a dip where you're all of a sudden like wait a minute why isn't the phone ringing like right. it was all the time right and you kind of you know thankfully i never had to go back to uh, and i don't say this pejoratively i just i'm saying because i feel fortunate i never had to go back to a non screenwriting job, like it still was able to make enough of a living as a screenwriter from assignments and everything else, even if they were smaller ones uh, at the time to make a living. And, you know, again, not to zig and zag with what I'm talking about here, but you talk about the pros and cons of not living in Los Angeles. Hmm. That was certainly a pro, especially at the time. I'm sure. Where It's like all of a sudden the revenue stream started to kind of dry up a bit. It's a lot easier to, to kind of to get by living in Rhode Island than it would have been living in Los Angeles.
0: Oh, absolutely. Right.
1: So, so that helped. And then again, I was able to turn things, you know, kind of kickstart things again and, 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 and drive everything back up again. But, um, but yeah, yeah, it's always, you, it is an industry of fear. Like you always, I think, I don't know. I mean, maybe I would have to imagine Steven Spielberg, maybe like JJ Abrams, everything else, but honestly, barring a lot of those folks, I think everybody's always worried about it all going away. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it, I think there's always this fear of like, way tomorrow. Like, yeah. You, know, and you like it. You appreciate it. You love what you do and you kind of, you know, and, and so I think there is an inherent sense of fear built in of like, so you always have to kind of be like, all right, what's next? What am I doing next? Because you recognize, this stuff takes time. You know, you plant these seeds. This stuff takes sometimes a long time to grow. I mean, intrusion is the perfect example. That was a script I wrote seven years ago. Wow. Finally got made, you know, a year and a half ago or whatever it was. And
0: and most of those seeds don't go anywhere. Year. They don't
1: grow. Exactly. Right? You know? They don't at all. Right. So you got to plant Completely 12 true.
0: seeds to get one germination. Yes. And even then, yeah. you would germinate. Sometimes it just dies,
1: Right. It dies. I mean, the, the, the metaphor, it's, it's the same idea, but this metaphor I always use is the horse race, where it's yeah. like you need to have as many horses in the race as possible because you never know, never know which one's going to come in, if right. any of them.
0: Right, right. I mean, Greenland could easily have not have gone away after Chris Evans and uh, Neil Blomkamp had mm-hmm. backed off. Right. But fortunately, 100%. it didn't. But it could easily have. And that's something that you had a big name director, a big name actor. Hey, I'm an easy street. Well, that doesn't work out in right. Hollywood all the time. You know,
1: no, no, it's yeah. I mean, it just that even that far along in the process, it still almost fell apart.
0: Right. Uh, I do want to touch base on uh, like the best advice you'd said you had been given uh, versus the the best advice that I'd been given was you're it's a marathon, not a sprint. Right. Mm -hmm. So it could take a long, long time. But I also wanted to add the fact that for you had mentioned five people, some people looking at five years. To start off your career saying, wow, that's a really long time. Well, there are people who probably who are six, seven, eight years into it going, when am I – five years? I would love to have made it three years ago, right? The thing is, mm-hmm. I think, for, for a lot of those writers is I think we look at it like a normal job, right? A lot of people who haven't worked in the business look at it like a normal – there should be a progression, yeah. right? right? Like in five years, I should hit this benchmark. In seven years, I should hit this benchmark. By 10 years, I should – you know, hit this benchmark and it's not the case in this. It's everyone's path is different. Everyone's track is different. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, your fortunes can change overnight. Like you can go, yep. f- like, I'm sure uh, when buried hit, you know, your fortunes changed overnight when it became, you know, a hit and Ryan Reynolds and, you know, all the success it had. So that's one of the things that you don't have to go from step A to step B. We'll often talk about our friend, Nikki uh, Fisher, who was an ATV spokesman, right? He was in his 40s, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden he entered his his script in uh, – I can't remember the name of the competition. Some screenplay co- TV competition uh, won that competition, got him a manager. That manager got it to CIA, got it to, uh, uh, I think, Spielberg? Spielberg loved it, got Halle Berry attached. Boom, it's a network show, right? Over, I don't want to say overnight, but in Hollywood sense, it was overnight. Yeah. So he sure. went from being a 40 year old ATV spokesman to mm-hmm. being a co EP on a network series starring Halle Berry produced by Steven Spielberg. So, right. you know, you could see it like, oh, it's I'm eight years into this. Yeah, but literally it could change overnight. And so in, if yeah. you think about it in those terms, you know, maybe don't get as discouraged because it's not the same progression. Like you're going to make incremental progress. You may make you know, uh, a parabolic progress. You don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, cause you don't, the thing is unlike you, you're exactly right. It's un, say like more standard industry where you're like, Oh, I, in, you know, in two years, I hope to be junior manager. Right. right. And then, you know, it's like, you can see the benchmark and the other thing, and maybe more importantly, is you can see the track that so many other people have been on mm-hmm. and that's how it's gone. So you can kind of map your thinking onto, or, you know, or your, your journey onto theirs. Right. Right. And like you said, everyone's journey in this industry is pretty different. Mm -hmm. So it's really tough to do that. But what I would say is that the growth that's happening, you know, and the progression that's happening, it's it's it is happening. You're just it's not like it's not happening necessarily in the form of like, well now all of a sudden you have a higher paying job and you already have a better office, or it's it's probably coming in the form of you're becoming a better writer. Right. Right. So Mickey Fisher, I don't know like I don't know what he was doing prior to, you know, and that was what extant was that the, yeah, the uh-huh. series. so I don't know what he was doing uh, prior to that, but I would imagine that wasn't his first screenplay. No, I mean, it was, it not, was I mean, that's like, yeah. So like, so years of probably writing screenplay after screenplay, after screenplay, that's the progression. That's the growth yeah. that's happening is that you're getting better. Yeah. And so, like, this idea of something changing overnight, it's, its as they say, the, the overnight success is usually about 10 years. <laughs> right, the 10-year overnight success. And that was true for me. I yeah. mean, yeah, overnight success, right? And 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 so, like, for me, with, as you pointed out, it was Buried. And with Buried, it was even earlier, and kind of circling back to our, at the very beginning of our conversation, you know, when I was talking about the career versus mm-hmm. the, 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 the project. The one-off, yeah. So, yeah, well, Barry changed things for me before the movie was made. Oh, because yeah. buried was all of a sudden that writing sample, right? Mm-hmm. It was like holy shit, people are reading this and responding. Now all of a sudden, I went from being a guy who was banging my head against the door trying to get in for ten years to all of a sudden the door swung wide open, and everyone's like, "Come on in, we want to meet mm-hmm. you, we want to meet you." Right. And and that then all of a sudden you have a team around you where it's like, "Oh my god, I was trying to get an agent for ten years, now all of a sudden I'm represented one of the biggest agencies in town," mm-hmm. and it's like, "This seems surreal, but it." But the fact of the matter is, that wouldn't have happened. It's not like to say like, oh, you got lucky after ten years. Right. No, no it probably took, and there's little of that, but it took ten years yeah. to get good enough to maybe write that. Yeah. That's just the reality, and 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 the the benefit now versus even then is that now people that you have more avenues. I keep saying it, but it's true, but you have more avenues to get people. That's the final hurdle, right? right. Is to get someone to actually read what you've written. It could be the greatest screenplay in the world, but if you can't get someone to read it, what difference does it make? Right. And back, back even then, there were a lot of barriers to entry that have since been taken away. So, you know, you mentioned this, this contest, there are a bunch of worthwhile contests, I'm sure. And, and, or, or, or fellowships and everything else, or even just, even just ways to now communicate with people who previously you couldn't you couldn't communicate with right right you know the door was closed mm-hmm. so i mean that is all to say it's like you yeah the growth is there it, it just it, it, it is frustrating i imagine it, it is frustrating even now you know kind of going back to the ebb and flow question that that person asked right still i mean you don't you know you're still looking every day i'm like all right what am i going to do next where am i going to be in five years you know, uh when am I gonna return to directing? When am I gonna do these sort you know, what all of it. You're always doing, it. yeah.
0: Yeah. There's two there's one story, it's anecdote really, and then one quote that I think I I kind of relay to writers a lot. One is is Picasso, it's a story about Picasso. I don't know if it's true or not, it's just mm-hmm. something that I'd heard, where in Paris someone walked up to Picasso at a, a cafe and said, Hey, you're Picasso could you just sketch something on this napkin for me? And so he just took the napkin, he sketched on it literally for a couple of minutes, handed it back, said, that'll be a hundred dollars. He's like, hundred dollars. That took you literally five minutes to sketch. He said, yeah, but it took me a lifetime to learn. Right. Right. Um, right. 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 I've although that, yeah. if that were true, whatever that was, well, sketches is probably worth millions now, but, um, <laughs> The other is uh, something called the stonecutter's credo. And it's a quote, and I'm just going to read it. It says, when nothing seems to help, I go and look at a stonecutter hammering away at his rock, perhaps a hundred times without so much as a crack showing in it. Yet at the hundredth and first blow, it will split in two. And I know it was not that blow that did it, but all that had gone on before.
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: You know, because you don't see the progress going on. You just see when it breaks. Yeah. Um, And I think that that's, something that writers could take into consideration when they get discouraged that all these things are helping even if you don't realize that they're you're building your career based on this foundation you're building a foundation like for a house but you don't see the house you just the but the foundation without a strong foundation you can't have a a strong house a nice house Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, yeah that's a that's a great analogy
0: uh, let's see here. Todd Klinger says, do you participate in any online screenwriting forums? And do you vet and develop ideas with your manager?
1: Um, I don't know what they mean by online screenwriting. Can you You know,
0: I guess like, you know, Reddit or any of these other things, like a lot of there, oh. there are some writers who will join in these forums just to answer questions for people or whatever.
1: I would. I haven't. I mean I'm on Twitter and that's probably the extent of it. Yeah. I mean um, I guess
0: with Twitter nowadays. Would,
1: like an AMA on, on, on Reddit or something. I guess, yeah. I don't even I don't like the thing is I don't know how a lot of those things come about. Like I don't know. Does someone ask does Reddit ask someone to do it? Or does someone just show up on Reddit and say, Here I am? I don't know. I, I think I've never listened this, to it. I
0: think it's the latter, really. I don't I don't think Reddit itself okay. is involved with a lot of these uh Q and A AMA kind of things. Uh, once in a while, but very rarely. I think it's usually just done by the actual subreddit creators, founders, whatever, bringing. I, I,
1: would, cer- I would certainly do it. I mean, even this, I love talking about the yeah. business. Yeah. You know, it's it's that's you know, and it's funny. That's one thing for sure, and I'll, I'll go briefly on this tangent and then come mm-hmm. back. I promise. Is that I've learned, and in your experience, I'd love to hear as well about this. Is that that's the one unifying thing? Is that everybody loves movies hmm. like or, or tv shows they love like i mean of course you're going to come across people that this is purely a, a whatever insert pejorative uh thing right like whether it's just a piece of business or it's that, those people obviously exist but it's it's just always so cool to like be around people who even people have do this for years and years and years and it made so many different things and it's just still exciting mm-hmm. it's still exciting to them and that's what kind of i think as I mentioned before, for me going back out to LA, you know, aside from having to go out for specific projects, I still like to go out like three, four times a year Mm -hmm. because not just to get in front of people again, but just to be like part of it again, to be physically around it, around like-minded people and be Mm -hmm. reminded like, yeah, this is, this is fun. Like, this is really cool. It's a job, but it's a cool job and it's fun. Like we all grew up loving movies and, and TV shows. That's, and going full circle like that's why we do this that's the simple reason why we do this is because we were so taken with it you know we that's just the real like people who love basketball and they just play all day the pickup games all day long and and who knows whether or not they'll ever get anywhere and if that's even their goal they just play because they love it Mm -hmm. right and and it's that's that's a big part of this so uh so yeah i enjoy what we're doing i enjoy if there was an ama or whatever else yeah sure i would do that um, and I'm sorry, I, 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 do you find it too, that, by the way?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I've talked about it before. Obviously, with COVID, it's changed everything. Yeah. But, you know, just walking around the lot, right, or or, or going yeah. to a TV taping or, uh, you know, visiting a set, you know, walking onto set or a soundstage, it's just, it's cool, even if you have nothing to do with that particular project. Right. But being in that environment... And not even just talking about sitting and chatting with the filmmaker or whatever, which obviously we do a lot, but literally watching, you know, the uh, uh, set dressers dressing a set on, on, mm-hmm. on a sound stage. It's it's just cool to see people. You're, you're they're creating something that's that we all love, and I, yeah, yeah, I absolutely find it, it. It's it's and it's invigorating, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. It makes you want to go do more. It makes you want to sit down in in that chair and write more when you're watching other people creating. Um, So, no, 100%. Absolutely. Um, I guess the other part of his question is, do you vet and develop ideas with your manager? Because we've had a lot of reps on here talking about how they do that as well.
1: I mean, do you have a manager or just an agent? Yeah, I do. I have a manager. Kaplan Perone is my management company. So, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, all the time. All the time. For first of all, because I, my manager Aaron, I, I truly consider him to be one of like, you know, the smartest guys when it comes to story and everything else
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, out there. So it's like having that person in your corner is a huge help. And I mean, you do it for a couple of reasons. You do it for maybe this is related to the question earlier about trends and everything else. You know, and I said it kind of depends where you are in your career because there's a different thing to say like, Oh, I have this, or uh, I'm about to write this script. And I, you know, or what, what have you, I want to pitch this TV idea for that person. It's really good to kind of check in with them and get, cause they have their finger more on the pulse probably than you do in terms of what's out there. What's not just what's selling, but like if what's there circulating. Are 30 projects. Yeah. What's circulating. Yeah. It's like, do mm, you want to throw your hat in that ring when mm-hmm. there is so much competition? So being just aware of that, that helps in that regard, but also just, yeah, kind of workshopping stuff. And, and, it, it's, it's, it's a great, uh, team, uh, right. experience and, and it's, and it helps. And and so again, for someone listening, that's like, well, that's all well and good for you, but I don't have a manager. And I don't have, right. I think, I think there are versions of that, what I at least just described to be found where you can find that in a writer's group. If it's a, if it's a, if it's a group of people which doesn't become like this sour right. thing, right. Um, you know, something I did just as a quick aside, Hmm. With buried, which I found extremely useful. So when I made the the, the, the feature that I wrote and co-directed years prior to buried, uh, just like anybody else, you know, when I after I finished a, a cut of the movie, I did just a, a a you know a test screening, and it was actually people I didn't know, which would made it even better, obviously, and so it wasn't friends and family. So I remember it was like, all right, well, this is a completely indie project. Everything was I had created. It's like, all right, well, I guess I need to put together a questionnaire. So I went online and found what those questionnaires generally look like. And, and so I did it and then got the feedback. And I remember probably like certain elements, like seven out of 10 people said the same thing. So then it was like, all right, well now I need to go back into the movie and fix this stuff. And it's spending money I don't have and time I don't have and resources I don't have, but it's obviously a problem. So when I was writing buried, I was like, you know what? Cause I planned to make buried myself. That was the initial plan. The, I was like, I don't, Rather than after the fact, why don't I do it in the script phase? It's free for me to change stuff now, right? As opposed to when it's a finished film or you know what I mean, a shot movie. So I did that. I created a questionnaire. It was basically similar, except it was based on the screenplay. And I I got about ten people who, like a focus group, were nice enough. Yeah, like a focus group who were nice enough to read the script and fill out this questionnaire. Mm -hmm. And, And when you know it, there was the same situation where there were like two or three things that were confusing to them. Uh, so it did inform what my rewrite looked like in a pretty real way. Um, so that's, you know, that's a version of it. If you can, if you can find people that'd be willing to do that for you, that it'll help.
0: Yeah, no, hundred percent. And it could literally be your classmates from film school, or if you mm-hmm. volunteer at a film festival, you know, some of your coworkers, people who enjoy it, not just your parents or, but, you know, somebody who loves right. cinema, unless of course they love cinema, but people who love movies, people who love TV, people who, um, uh, you know, have more than a relationship with you to be the reason that they're reading it, right? Yes, that definitely. Kind of people
1: thing. who are going to not pull punches—that's that's probably yeah the key criterion is uh is uh is that, is yeah. that, that they they're going to be honest with you. But I mean, I would even say, yeah. I mean, it could be people that are that appreciate films in particular. But at the same time, a screenplay is a pretty readable document. That's true even for the average person.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I think anyone who's you know, who's going to be honest, but who's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's all the feedback is helpful. So if you're not able to gather, say people who are cinephiles, I think kind of regular folks are willing to read it. And if, you know, obviously pretty smart people, right? (laughs) Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, let's see here. Uh, Frank Smithers, I'm delivering my first feature to a studio as a writer director, uh, the pitch and the follow up couldn't have gone better $5 million budget budget. Uh, congrats, Frank. But what should I expect mm-hmm. regarding studio notes? Uh, sci-fi thriller horror.
1: On the on the finish uh, on his cut of the film or on the screenplay?
0: Uh, it just says, "Let's see." Delivering his first feature to a studio as a writer director, the pitch and follow-up couldn't have gone better. Uh, so I guess it's it hasn't shot yet. I guess they have okay. a budget going forward. They have the pitch, and I'm assuming the script. He's delivering his first script to okay. his first draft of the script uh, to the studio or the production company, wherever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, what should the notes process? What do the notes normally look like? What does that process look like?
1: Again, obviously it varies. Sure. What you're dealing with. Yeah. yeah. But um, it's an exhausting process for sure. <laughs> Right. I mean, and especially if it's a lot of people on those calls, mm-hmm. because there are people, you know, depending again, depending on who you're dealing with, there are always there. You know, there might be junior level, junior level people that are, might be a lot of junior level people on the phone. Um, and not to sound cynical or but like there's sometimes something real about trying to prove your paycheck or your worth you know, it's like, you feel like you have to say something. Right. Right. And that's understandable. I would probably feel the same if I was in their shoes. Like, I'm getting... I... and so you end up having people providing notes that are kind of just saying it just to say it. Right. Then you also have people who might actually feel one way about something, but because their boss feels a different way, they have to, they have to support what the boss is saying. Sure. Um. So I think the process generally is finding where to fight your battles. Mm-hmm. Cause you're going to get a lot of feedback. You know, what, you know, where you, what, what hills, I guess you're willing to die on, um, what battles you're willing to, to compromise on because it, it, you can't win them all for sure. And yeah. some, I mean, and some of the the notes might come down to budgetary reasons, which are really tough to get around unless mm-hmm. you can provide a creative solution for why you, or for how you are going to do this as a filmmaker and, and, and come, you know, and, and come under budget or at budget. Um, so that's always a tough one because it is always tough to be like we just can't because we don't have the money to do that Mm -hmm. right but the benefit of being the writer as well is that you know as the director is that you you basically have the writer on retainer (laughs) you know i mean like you can you know you can you can change whatever you need to change in the way that you want to change it so it gives you that flexibility Mm -hmm. um you know as as the process goes, and it's not just as the, as I say, a, a filmmaker, but even to say as a writer, when you're going to get a whole bunch of notes back, which you will, the process I generally go through is I'll, I'll you know, you sit there, you, you hear all the notes here, you know, you, you try to dig in a little bit of trying to find the note behind the note of like, you know, you, they're saying something, but are they actually saying this? And right. you kind of try to figure that out. The note behind the note. Uh, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then you then you kind of go back. You look at the document, you digest it a little bit, and then you start coming up with solutions for them, right? right. Some of them might flat out say, "No, I'm not doing that." Like that is 100 percent wrong. I mean, not that you should go back and say that. You find, <laughs> right. you know, but at the same time, like it's always good to come back with a solution,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you know, and go through that process. And then, you know, some of them are like, "All right, great, that's a good note. That's a really good note. It's right. really smart. I didn't think about that." Or and and that happens a lot. I mean, generally speaking, there are a lot of smart creative people in this industry. So like, so sometimes you can implement that stuff, but I would say kind of prepare yourself for that. Don't be discouraged by it. It Doesn't mean that there's something wrong with your project. It means that there are people that, you know, creatively want to work with you to hopefully make it even better. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then again, yeah, no, like stand your ground too, especially as if you're the writer director, you have more, a lot more leverage, you know, it's you know, fight those battles. If you think they're worth fighting, but don't, don't try to fight all of them. <laughs> right. Cause yeah.
0: Then you're just being labeled as difficult to work yeah. with. Yeah. yeah, And that can torpedo a career faster than anything. percent, hundred
1: percent. That's where I think being the difference between just saying no, Oh sure. Saying then saying, how about this? Like right. you wanted, you were asking if we could try this, I get it. But what if we were able to approach it and accomplish generally the same thing, but right. with this, Sure. You know, it, it just is, I mean, again, that's just a, just a better way to deal with other human beings. There's nothing, you know.
0: Right. <laughs> right. No, and it shows that you're addressing and acknowledging their notes rather than ignoring them and providing an alternate solution, offering that to them as possibly an alternative and yeah. still leaving the ball in their court to make the decision so they still have the power, which makes them feel good, yes or no. And then you, but again, you're still acknowledging that you've heard their, comments and are coming up trying to come up with adequate solutions for them Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and actually that sort of uh ties into i think what we hear from a lot of tv writers in terms of when you're in a writer's room never ever make uh shoot someone's idea down or point out a problem if you don't have a a solution or a better idea
2: Mm -hmm. right don't just say that's
0: terrible that's bad no i don't think that's very good because or what do you have as a solution otherwise you're just you're not helping you don't have anything right. any better, right? Um, so we're nearing um, an hour and a half. So we're nearing the end of our time, which is unfortunate because I do want you back on because I did, did, wanted to talk more about Mercy and getting more about the writer-director aspect uh, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So we'll have to have you back on if you're willing to come back on because I, I would love yeah, to, yeah, to dive into more uh, of 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 the filmmaker aspect as well. Uh, And there's other questions, screenwriting questions I didn't get to, Uh, but I wanted to ask you sort of to wrap up. What are, what is one bit of advice we talked about the best advice I'd been given or the best advice you'd been been given. What sort of advice do you have for those emerging screenwriters out there? Like what would you have, what would you have heard that would have made your journey easier when you started out?
1: Well, I, I mentioned anything about reading screenplays. Yeah, it may, some people. Hopefully, everybody, everyone tuning in is already doing that, and they're kind of like, "Yeah, I'm doing that." So right. cool. Well, great. Um, if you're not doing it, get on it. Um, you know, this is it I, could be life advice well. too. Even it yeah, what to it be, is, yeah. It's what is? this actually kind of, it's life-related advice, mm-hmm. and so I think like kind of as you know, if we are to call ourselves artists, which I think we are, and. Um, you know there is something about the the struggling artist trope right that we can all kind of fall victim to where we feel like we need to you need to be the struggle is 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 necessary it is part of it struggle but i guess i mean in a, in a i mentioned this the other day recently and i didn't articulate it fully I was speaking to someone a class at afi kind of what we're doing now mm-hmm. um and i'm trying to get across i'm like The most success, the moments of success I had, especially early on. So again, the pre-Berry days was when I was, I had money, some money in my pocket. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm getting at is like, don't, it's really tough to get into the headspace of being creative if you're like, man, I'm barely getting by, right? And I realized that's pretty weak advice basically like so what you're saying don't be poor like yeah no shit but like i'd love not to be and i understand obviously sometimes it's out of your control but what i'm getting at is like if you can find a way to make a living that puts a little extra in your pocket gives you a little bit of a cushion it affords you the opportunity to start doing your own stuff if you want to enter into those contests you want to enter because otherwise you couldn't have you didn't have the money frankly um you made a film you want to enter it into you know whatever whatever film festival it's like these things become possible just by virtue of like real life stuff of being, you know, all right, I, I'm working at this job that naturally you don't wanna work at a, a job or multiple jobs where you have no time at all to to write or create. But if you can find a job, even if it's not your dream job at all, if you're just like, this is just a job, but it pays pretty well, as opposed to like nowadays you could probably, and again, this was an option back then, but like, obviously you can be an Uber driver, you can do this mm-hmm. and everything else, but it's like, if, that's, if you find that stuff is just getting you by, right? And it's like, yes, you you still maybe have some time to write and everything. I don't know. I think you get a lot more mileage out of like, you know, I'm working at a this is a boring job, right? It's a boring job, but I can tolerate it. Pays me pretty good. So now, like, you know what? I've decided. I put away. I I've, I've saved up ten grand. Let's just say, I'm gonna go make that. You know, I I, I wrote this thing. I want to go make it. I have ten grand that I saved to go do this. That you know, and it's like. And again, I'm probably doing, not doing a great job of articulating what I'm saying. It's just more like we have a tendency of kind of falling into that trope of well, well the struggle is part of it, like the struggling actor or the struggling writer or you know, the struggling, starving artist. It's like, oh, it's all, it doesn't have to be because a lot of times it's it's, it's a hard way to succeed. Mm. Um, I'll say that. And then one more thing. And this was the second best piece of advice, I think I yeah. got. I remember a producer early on just telling me point blank. He's like something to the effect of like, you have to, you always have to fight for yourself because no one else is going to fight for you. And they were saying it and meaning like, so yes, of course you're lucky you have you have reps and everything else, and they do fight for you, they do they are on your side and everything else. But at the end of the day, it's still it's still you. You have to you have to uh, hustle. You have to fight um, because you know every you know everybody to a certain extent. Even if you are working as a team, everybody still is an individual and in some regard in some respects has their own individual interests at heart
2: Mm -hmm.
1: right that's just reality and you can't really rely on other people to be always out there fighting for you or trying to get you the next opportunity that's not how it works you you always have to be out there hustling
0: right no that's great advice and that's something that everyone should take to heart um Thank you, Chris, uh, for coming on and and sharing your wisdom with us and taking for time out of your Saturday. I really appreciate it. And again, uh, if you could just stick around for a minute or two after we we wrap this up. But I would love to have you back on to talk about filmmaking and other stuff. Um, But be sure to follow Chris on Twitter. It's at Chris Sparling. We'll have a link below. Um, And as a reminder, we're off next Saturday, but we're back on Friday, November 5th at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern for our Meet the Manager Q&A with Jason Lubin of First Story Entertainment. So we'll see you then. Thank you for joining us today. Have a great weekend, everyone. We will see you next time.